Welcome to the Benson and Nose Guys program. Our show is brought to you by Town and Country Pest Solutions. We're highlighting the stories and the people of faith. It's not a faith program with sports. It's a sports program with faith. You can visit our website, btgprogram.com, or follow us on Twitter, at btgprogram. I'm here with those guys, Darren and Zach. It's a good week. Baseball, real baseball is here. Not the fake stuff we've had for a few weeks. Tuesday night was kind of a tough night, though, for Oakland A's Brett Lowry, the recently acquired Brett Lowry. He went 0 for 4, struck out four times on 12 pitches. Oh, no. (laughs) 12 pitches. How did I miss this? Go up, look at three, go down. that's, That's a tough night. You know, he says it just, he got behind and then... You get behind an account, you're kind of working against it, and you can't have a worse night at the plate. That's that's the top level of bad right there. I guess you could ground into four double plays on four <laughs> pitches, and then... oh, I think I'd rather hit the ball though. Striking out t- four times on twelve pitches, come on. <laughs> Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather coming up finally, getting big money for these seats. Many uh, many Pacquiao's. His trainer is using the fact that Mayweather was a domestic violence involver. I don't know how to how, how you somebody who participated. He was a participant. <laughs> He's Manny Pacquiao is against domestic violence as a politician in the Philippines. He's hmm. uh, he, so Roach Shocker. is using this to promote. It. He's like, hey, Mayweather. Beats his wife, Mayweather, and he's including this 2012 jail stay that uh, involved the mother of three of his four children, which allegedly happened, was witnessed by his sons. So Roach Mm. is using that as motivation for Pacquiao to get in the ring and beat Mayweather to a pulp. Are you guys excited about that fight? Yes. It'll be a great fight. I look forward to seeing the highlights afterwards, but I'm certainly not going to pay that money to watch it. Oh, I, I, I would pay any money to watch it. It's going to be on pay per view, right? I, Was I, it like ninety dollars to I, watch it? I think I'd still pay that. That's they've been talking junk to each other for years. This is they're a fight that I wish had happened a few years ago. Yeah, that's true, but it's not. And who do you have a favorite? Who are you rooting for? I'm going to root for Pacquiao. I think he's fun. He might lose, but he's, he's he a plays fun for dude. God's team. He's a yeah. he's a born again believer. Oh, is he? I yeah. was just about to say Mayweather, just just for fun. But uh, you can root for Mayweather. I kind of want Pacquiao now. Oh, Pacquiao. I don't really care. I just want to watch them beat the crap out of each other. Uh, Pacquiao's a great fighter. He's a basketball player. He's a singer. He's a politician. He's just a fun dude. He's a fun dude. Have you seen him play basketball? I wouldn't call him a basketball player. Uh, he's better uh, than if me. you don't, if you go talking against him, you're going to get kicked out of the league. You, you <laughs> saw that happen. <laughs> I did. Yeah. But the Chicago Cubs opening night, not enough bathrooms. They're doing all that construction. That was brutal. That was so foul. You're seeing pictures pop up on Twitter of just uh, cups in a corner that have been filled with urine. It was just so gross. So now there's a picture. They got all these portable toilets lined up outside Wrigley. or I guess it's inside Wrigley so these folks can access it. They didn't think of this beforehand? Well, they did. It just the, the bathrooms went down. They weren't. They weren't expecting this. Oh, okay. It just it didn't go according to plan. Is really what it was. <laughs> Clearly, uh, porta porta potties are kind of foul on their own. I remember my wife and I. We went to Woodstock. What was it ninety four? Was that yeah? That would have been the twenty five year anniversary. We're at Woodstock ninety four, and it was as, as is the case for Woodstock: wet, 
muddy, rainy, just like 69 all over again. But the urinals were all kind of tipped on their side, kind of flowing into <laughs> oh, the girls. It was, it was, there was just a stench in the, oh, it was, it was foul. Why would you want to go to this? We went to see, I, I lived down there. I worked about a mile from where it ha- where where the event was held. Okay, and we were just curious. We we wanted to go see. I don't I don't think I remember any. I think we saw traffic with Stevie Winwood was playing as we were walking around. The Allman Brothers was playing as we walked around. Them I've heard of, and the Spin Doctors I haven't heard of them. Either. Were playing, but we were really just curious, walking around, checking it out. Jack Nicholas hits a hole in one. In the par three contest. You still got it. <laughs> Jack Nicholas. How awesome is that? Now you're playing he's playing with Ben Crenshaw, I think, and Gary Player. Listen, what a threesome that no, I think Arnold Palm I I don't know. I'm just making stuff up at this point. But <laughs> the point is he hits a hole in one. How fabulous this guy hitting a hole in one. But the best part of it, he was he did an interview that morning and he says you know what i'll have to do i'll have to go out and hit a hole in one and he does it <laughs> and then he goes out and does it as only jack that's why he is the best you can talk about tiger you can talk about whoever you would jack nicholas the very best ever to play the game of golf we're going to take a break coming up after the later in the program we're going to talk to former umpire ken kaiser rochester new york native we also have Campbell University head baseball coach Justin Hare coming on the program. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Title sponsor of Benson and Those Guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. Spring is finally here. The grass is actually visible. And pretty soon, those pesky critters are going to be coming out. Whether it's ants, bees, mice, or even raccoons in your attic, Town & Country Pest Solutions have a solution. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company, locally owned and operated for nearly two decades. McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows, and for exterior and interior remodels, no one beats their personal and professional service. Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. One of the great traditions in all of sports is going on now, the Masters Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. I always love the Masters. I get to see it on TV with the beautiful course, the green grass, the beautiful flower. It's just so well landscaped, and it sort of brings in officially spring for me. About the same time Major League Baseball kicks off here in Rochester, New York, it seems like spring comes a little bit later than into the rest of the world. So when you get the opening day of baseball and you get the Masters Tournament, you see the green grass, it just feels like spring. I want to share a devotional I saw. Larry Mize put this together. You might remember Larry Mize won the Masters Tournament back in 1987, one of the classic finishes of all time. Coming to the 18th hole, he needed a birdie to tie for first, and he got it. 
tying him with Seve Ballesteros and Greg Norman. They go into a playoff. Seve's eliminated kind of right away. He and Greg Norman battle it out. Eventually, Larry Mize wins the tournament. And it was thought at the time that that might propel him to success over the next few years. But actually, it was quite to the contrary. For the next two years, Larry Mize really struggled. Realizing he'd gotten off track, he calls up Larry Moody, who leads the Bible study on the PGA Tour, says he's frustrated and really thinking about quitting. The response from Larry Moody was this, Larry, there's no doubt in my mind that God wants you to play golf. But honestly, I think you've forgotten where your significance comes from. Your significance doesn't come from being a professional golfer or a master's champion. Your sense of identity doesn't come from what you've accomplished or what you do. It comes from knowing you're a child of God. What makes you significant is Jesus Christ. Because you've placed your trust in him, you're a child of the king, and you're worth the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He put a price tag on you, and that makes you significant no matter what the world says, no matter how good or how bad you play. My says I'll never forget that conversation with Larry Moody. In fact, I try to remind myself of it often, because if my job or my performance is what makes me significant, then my life will be like a roller coaster. If I play well, I'll be happy. If I play bad, I'll be upset. And I won't be happy again until I play good again. I don't want to live like that, Mai says, but thankfully I don't have to. We have infinite worth because God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Tremendous words of wisdom and a wonderful perspective from Larry Mai's Masters Champion, 1987. It's my pleasure now to welcome in on the BTG studio line former longtime Major League umpire and Rochester, New York native Ken Kaiser. Ken, welcome to the program. I got to ask you, based on comments that umpire Joe West made a few years ago that Yankees and Red Sox games were taking way too long, do you think some of today's games go too long? It takes too much time. They all took much, too much time. Joe's right. I mean, these guys, uh, the, everybody, uh, the games are too long because the, the, pitchers, the pitchers are afraid to throw strikes. Scared to death to throw strikes. They're afraid they're going to get a tape measure done job on it. Very few great pitch. You notice the, the, the decline of the great pitcher? I do hear that, Ken. You're right. In fact, you hear a lot of talk that you may never see another 300-win pitcher again. Can you name me three great pitchers in the last 20 years? I mean, Clayton Kershaw comes to mind. but Okay, that's the last four years yeah. before him. Yeah. Now, I agree with you with him. And he had the worst series known to man. But that's not the point. He is a great pitcher. The kid in Detroit's a, now he's hurt, but he's a great pitch, great pitcher. Uh, Verlander, Justin Verlander. But give me Hall of Fame pitchers. Can't name one. And you don't get the Hall of Fame, Clayton Kershaw, and get there in three, four years. But name me, you can't name one. What's that tell you? And then they're talking about the games are too long? Well, the main reason for that is they don't throw it over the plate. You mentioned a lack of great pitching. Great pitchers, even, and yet there's an attempt, or or it seems like what is an attempt to infuse more offense into the game. Nolan Ryan and other great pitchers of the past have come out and questioned the strike zone. Should it be called the way it's called on the field? Do you think the problems the strike zone in the rule book or the way they call it on the field? Because the two things seem to be drastically different. I remember I remember talking to Nolan one day and talking to I was at dinner and with him and George Brett, and Nolan said if they if I had that strike that they called today. I'd have won 300 more games. And, 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 and Brett smiled and George said, and I'd have hit 240, he said. It's when the umpire has his own strike zone. They're totally aware of these players of what you call. Well, he's a low ball umpire. How many years did you hear that? He's a high ball umpire. 
Well, that's what they were. They knew what to expect. Now it's well. Could you imagine having a strike zone today with uh, with, uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh, the elf, uh, the base dealer, uh, Ricky uh, Henderson. Uh, Ricky, could you imagine having a strike zone with him today? You wouldn't have a strike zone with him today. The way he stood, that strike zone of Ricky's was only when he swung. When he wasn't going to take a pitch, he stood up. So what strike zone do you use? Retired longtime Major League umpire Ken Kaiser talks with us on the BTG studio line. Ken, a lot of folks will tell you that the the human element of umpires adds to the beauty of the game of baseball. We like that. And yet, so many broadcasts and so many stadiums will put this K-zone in, which show this box, and fans immediately know whether the umpire calls something other than what technology shows. Every ball, every strike is up there. Is that fair to the umpires? Hey, this is my zone. I call it again. I just went from a night game in Seattle to an afternoon game in New York. I just had a fight with my wife. I'm getting divorced. We're human. One of my kids got hurt. We're not human according to these people. Hey, he missed that pitch in the fourth inning. They think that the umpire is in the ground and rises at at 7 o'clock every night from a base and then goes back into the ground for the next night. (laughs) I mean, it sounds ludicrous to you, but that's the way I look at it. You have a zone, and, and you are human. You ever have a bad day at the office? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so does that mean they should fire you? Well, good night. I hope not. Hey, listen, I had more fun with fans than any umpire, and I did. I had some wonderful things happen to me. I'll give you one. You're going to cry. But I was in Baltimore one day, and it was about uh, in between innings, and I saw this little girl over there, and she had a ball in her hand. I'm sorry, it wasn't between innings. It was the start of the game. Uh, just, they were warming up, and a couple players were walking by, and she's holding the ball out. Now, this girl's about five years old, and they're walking by her. They won't sign it. So I finally grabbed, uh, it might have been, uh, oh, Rick, Rick Dempsey. I said, Rick, sign the girl. He's coming in from the bullpen. I said, sign the little girl's ball. She went over and signed the ball. And then between them, she called me. She waving to me, waving to me. So in between I went over and she wanted me to sign it, so I signed the ball. So after the game was over, I come up out in, in the new Baltimore Stadium. We come up to the elevator, and right there is the, is the parking lot. So as I walk out, there's the mom, the dad, the brother, and the little girl. And they were ecstatic. They came all the way from Virginia. And and we we talked to them, and I picked her up. and She was a little blah, a little doll, and they were just the nicest family. So, you know, I gave them my address and told them, I said, my phone number, I said, listen, you guys are ever going to a game and I'm going to be down there, or even if I'm not going to be down there, just give me a call, and I'll call the crew of umpires in there make sure they leave the tickets. And they were so thoughtful, so nice, and they send me a card every Christmas. They send me a card on my birthday. And I got this one card uh, from them, and it was in the middle of winter. I remember that. And it was a letter from the mother. And the little girl, she was sick at the time, I knew that, but the little girl died of leukemia. Oh, my. And she was a five, she might have been seven. And they showed a picture. They had my picture next to the casket with taking a pit, giving her the ball. And they, I got tears in my eyes thinking about this. And the ball was in the casket with her. Oh. And they said that the, 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 the that I brought more into the, the, her life at her age than anybody could possibly be. And they never forgive, forget me and thank me. And I got, they sent me pictures that they took at, at the time. 
We're talking with retired Major League umpire Ken Kaiser on the BTG studio line. Ken, that's a incredible story. Um, very so touching. Sorry, yeah. A few I, years. I hate to tell that story because I start crying. Yeah, it's a it's a very sweet story. Ken, what about pace of the game? Do you like the idea of putting a pitch clock on the pitcher or having the batter having to stay in the box? I mean, these things just seem to enforce a rule that already exists, right? That was in the, the rules before I got there, but nobody used it. 20 seconds. I seen a call one time. Bill Heller called it once. And he called it on uh, the kid that pitched, went from St. Louis to Kansas City. Rabowski, the relief pitcher. Oh, yeah. Al Herbowski? He, he hit the ball into the glove. Well, Bill Heller was standing at second base holding the clock up. 20 seconds, he wasn't even on a rubber yet. He called it on him. That's the first and only time I've ever seen it called. I never even heard an umpire tummy called it. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever seen it called. You know why the rule is like that? You can't call that rule? You got 20 seconds, right? And the batter's got to be in the box. Well, when the pitcher's taking all that time, he steps out of the box. Then you got to restart the count again. Anyone who's ever watched a baseball game has wondered what goes on in those chats between catchers and umpires behind the plate. Did you ever have anybody that you were particularly friendly with behind the plate? Did you look forward to those games? And can you share any of what those conversations were about? Well, I liked a lot of guys. Mostly the catchers were good guys. I mean, you had the rats like uh, the kid from Baltimore just mentioned, uh, Rick Dempsey. He's a rat. There's a lot. There were some rats, uh, but on the whole, you know, Butch Weiniger and uh, Thurman. Most of the catchers are good guys. There's rats. You know, most of the rats played in Baltimore. Uh, and uh, for those are real. Palmer, he thought he was Cy Young. You know, he never threw a ball. I will give him credit for one thing. Uh, he's the only pitcher I've ever seen. You ever notice when you throw a ball out there, you throw it back to you? Yeah. Well, what I used to do is I get the ball and put it in my ball bag, put my hand back in there and give him the same ball. Nobody ever knew the difference except Palmer. I threw him the ball. He started walking and I started walking. So he says, guys, that's the same ball. <laughs> the only wow. One. He's the only guy. The only guy in, in 25 years to big leagues and knew the difference. <laughs> I mean, how, did, how did he know, I wonder? Well, you know what? He, he looked at the ball. Maybe there was a mark on the ball. So anyway, I could figure it out. And then when I threw it back to him, he looked and saw the same mark. You know, And that's the only way he would have known. He, he, was no, he was no uh, Einstein, believe me. A lot of these guys you talk to, you say hello to them, they're stuck for an answer. You mentioned uh, Baltimore. Was Earl Weaver the most difficult manager that you had to handle? He was a rat. He was uh, he was unfair. That was his biggest problem. He was totally unfair. And the only way you could ever get even with Earl Weaver and you didn't want to hurt the team is he liked to smoke in the dugout. He'd try and hide in the corner. If I was standing at third base and saw him, I'd say, Earl, put it out or get out. And I was the only one who would do that. He thought he was getting away with something, you know what I mean? But he usually put it out. He says, you're the only guy that ever yells at me. I saw a video on YouTube where... He was in quite an argument with, you mentioned Bill Haller earlier. And for that one. Yeah, you, you stepped in between them because Earl Weaver was threatening to knock Bill oh, Haller on his bottom. Yeah, what did you think of that? Bill's 6'4", 235, Earl's a midget. Yeah, I was, I was surprised that he was. He threatened me one day. I had a play at the plate, and I went against Baltimore, and he come running out, and he turned his hat around because he was always guilty. I was trying to hit umpires in the bridge of the nose. Well, first of all, his hair come up to my chest. And second of all, he comes out, he says to me, after about three or four minutes, he's already thrown out, by the way. He says, I'd like to punch you, and I start laughing. 
He says to me, what are you laughing at? I said, what are you going to do, punch me in the knee? <laughs> Didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's taking on a big dude if he's coming after you. You used to be a wrestler, and, and yeah, I, I can't I believe it. I saw him Ronnie Luciano one time. Ronnie Luciano is the strongest man I've ever met in my life. He said something to Ronnie in a, in a, running down, going down the runway one day, and Ronnie turned around. Now, here's Ronnie, all-American tackle from Syracuse, six foot six, 325 pounds. And he says, come on! He's got 19 guys in front of him, of course. I said, I'll tell you what, Earl. We'll move all your players, we'll get out of the way, and I'll give you $1,000 if you can go more than 50 seconds with them. <laughs> $1,000. I took it right out of my pocket. I always carried my money in my pocket. I never left it in the dressing room. I said, here's $1,000, and I put it on the ground. And I said, I'll tell you what, Earl. If you can go 50 seconds with Ronnie without hitting the ground, I'll give you that $1,000. He didn't take you up on that. Okay, and everybody started laughing at him. <laughs> His own players were laughing at him. <laughs> Ronnie would have made an ink spot on the ground about him. I used to mess around with Ronnie, and I, and I used to bench press almost 500 pounds. 440, I used to get there. I couldn't handle Ronnie. Ronnie was the strongest, never lifted a weight in his life, just brutally born strong. Oh, he used to lead the, he used to pull for, uh, for Jimmy Brown in Syracuse. Well, how good you gotta be to do that? He's an All-American. <laughs> Hey, now I also take him out. Oh yeah, you're also friends with uh, Ted Barrett. I know. Oh, um, Teddy and I are best friends. I broke him in. And now he was a. I just found this out. An amateur boxer at one time prior to pursuing umpiring. He was a professional boxer. Was he? Oh, I did not know that. I thought he was. Wow. He won the Golden Gloves in California, and then he started sparring with. Uh, let's see. He sparred with Biggs. He sparred with. Uh, here we go. For George Foreman. Okay. No uh, who's the guy with the tattoo in the eye? Mike Tyson. Yeah, uh, he sparred with him. And then he won his first, I think, 15, 8, we turned probably 15, 18 fights. And then he ran into, uh, the guy that beat Tyson in Japan. That was Buster Douglas, wasn't it? Well, yeah, that's it. Buster Douglas. Was, was it Japan, Buster Douglas? It? Yeah. Yeah, that's who it was. And Buster hit him so hard he, he thought he was still in high school. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I asked him if that's the hardest he ever got hit. He says, no. I said, well, who hit the hardest? He says, it ain't even close. George Foreman. Nobody hit harder than he did. And I heard that from a couple of guys, but, but Teddy verified it. And then uh, he's also a minister now. He has his own following. Matter of fact, he's, in October, he's marrying my daughter. No kidding. Yeah, down in Florida. My daughter's getting married in, in uh, Pensacola, Florida. Yeah, he's, he's got a master's degree in biblical studies from Trinity College. He's, uh, he's quite a guy. I remember when I first got him to come to my crew. We were talking, and we're standing up second base, and, he, and between innings, and he says, you know, he said, I got a problem. I said, what's the matter, kid? I mean, this, this guy's a big boy. He says, guys, he says, I got a problem. I'm afraid. I said, who are you afraid of? He says, well, I don't know. I don't want these players to find out I used to box. I said, what? And he says, look it. They know I wrestle. You tell everybody you are a boxer, and you tell them those people you fought. Because you are, they don't, they don't want to bother you anyway. You just tell everybody. That's what he, he did. <laughs> wow. All-around athlete. He played football in high school. I guess he was a uh, all-stater in out of Buffalo or something. He, he lived outside of Buffalo, I think Tonawanda or something. Yep, yep. North North Tonawanda. Is that where it is? All right. Yeah. Well, anyways, he's a hell of a guy. He's a good man. He's a honest kid. I don't come any better. Now you were in the game for a long time, over what oh, 35, no, 36 years? Almost. Well, 25 in the bigs, 10 and 11 in the minor leagues, 36 plus the strike years. I mean, still get credit for him. Long time. Well, how about you? How are you doing? A lot of problems with the diabetes and 
heart and cancer. I don't think I'm leaving out anything, am I? Well, if you're <laughs> struggling with all that, I, I wasn't aware. But I'm all right. I'm fine. In the many years, Ken, that you did, you know, you mentioned over 25 in the bigs. What was your favorite moment? What was the thing that you think you're most proud of? I guess my first World Series. My first World Series was in 86 with St. Louis and Minnesota. And that was the series where we opened up Minnesota. Minnesota won the first two games. We went to St. Louis. St. Louis won the next three games. We went back to Minnesota, and they won the next two. <laughs> that, your first, your World Series is always your proudest. I worked two guys' 300th game, Gaylord Perry's 300th game, and I worked a couple of no-hitters. But they're nothing like a World Series. You know, you got uh, six umpires, and it's kind of a camaraderie thing. It's kind of fun. Everybody's got their families together. You go out to eat dinner after the games, and that's fun to do. Ken, before I let you go, um, we are a faith-based program. I want to ask you, you mentioned diabetes, and, and I didn't, I had no idea, and I apologize. You're struggling with cancer. How, how can we pray for you? I, I'm not struggling with cancer. They, they just found a mass, and I'm waiting for the results of it. God willing that, you know, there's nothing in there that, that they can't fix, but, uh, the diabetes in the heart is pretty much, uh, they got me on medicine, and I said, I'm going to be fine. You know, I'm a, I'm a God-fearing individual, and I go every Sunday to church and did this while I was umpire, and I'd look for a church, so I'm a strong believer. But the bottom line is, if he wants you, he's going to take you. So. Well, we'll keep you in prayer. I appreciate your we'll coming appreciate on. That. I, I hope, a lot to me. Wish you well. I hope you have a great time at your daughter's wedding. And Well, thank you for the time. I enjoyed it with you guys. Most I, of these things, I ended up yelling at these people. But <laughs> no, I had a good time. <laughs> Love listening to the baseball stories. Plus, you're knowledgeable. I like that, too. Well, but. I got a book too. You got to try if you ever get a chance to get to a library or something. It's called Flying of the Umps. If you're looking for laughs, you get a whole little copy of that. I would if I had one, I sent it. Then it goes back to I think 2004 is when I wrote it. But well, I'll really try. a funny, funny book. I've not read it, but I'll track it down. It there is no book, a sports book anywhere. Even all these big names that sold as many copies as my book did. So you might enjoy it. Very good. Congratulations. Thanks again That's for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure, Ken. This has been fun. Thank you. All right. Take care. That's a long time. Baseball umpire Ken Kaiser joining us on the BTG studio line. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Benson and Those Guys, brought to you by Town Country Best Solutions. With all the snow and ice this year, a lot of people are having problems with water leaking into their homes. They're finding water in their kitchens, damaged drywall, and ruined floors. If you have this problem, call Tim Ford with Imperial Remodeling at 490-4027. They will remove the snow and ice from your roof and gutters to prevent further leaking. And they can take care of any damage the water may have already caused. If you are one of the fortunate few to have escaped the ice problems, but are considering some home improvement projects like perhaps remodeling your kitchen or turning that unused area into a man cave, call Tim at 490-4027. He will come out personally to talk to you about your project. That's Tim Ford with Imperial Remodeling, 490-4027. That's 490-4027. Title sponsor of Benson and Those Guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. Spring is finally here. The grass is actually visible, and pretty soon those pesky critters are going to be coming out. Whether it's ants, bees, mice, or even raccoons in your attic, Town & Country Pest Solutions have a solution. They have been in business for over 25 years, and their team of knowledgeable professionals guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. 
or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town and Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Welcome back to the show. The baseball team at Campbell University in North Carolina has won more than 40 games each of the last three seasons. They won the Big South regular season title in 2013 and were nationally ranked. Last season, the Fighting Camels won the Big South Tournament Championship on their way to their first ever NCAA Tournament victory over Old Dominion. This year, they have a new head coach, Justin Hare, and he joins us now on the BTG studio line. Justin, welcome. We're so glad you could join us. Glad you reached out. This is this is awesome. Great opportunity for us. Congratulations on the head coaching position, but you're no stranger to Campbell baseball, are you? How long have you been involved at Campbell? This is um, this is my eighth year here at Campbell. I, I came here um, as the recruiting coordinator, assistant coach in the fall of 2007. 2008 was uh, was our first season here, and then. Uh, this past summer in June, I got promoted to, to head coach. Because of your work with the hitters and with recruiting, you've been given some high praise being credited with being so instrumental in building the Campbell offense, which has really become one of the nation's top offenses. What is it that you look for when recruiting a potential student athlete to come to Campbell? Well, there's four things, Rick, that we try to, to concentrate on, you know, in terms of of recruiting and, and, you know, obviously everybody's trying to get the best player they can, but for us and being at Campbell and where we are, you know, it's important to kind of recruit the whole person. So for us, number one, we want to recruit good students. Um, it's a private Christian school, so it's not cheap to go to school here. So getting guys that are, that are good students is, is really, really important in terms of being able to make it affordable and, and it makes everybody's life easier when they get here and they're eligible and, and on track to graduate and all that kind of stuff. So good students is number one. Number two, we want to, we want to recruit good people. You know, we, we do extensive, um, background checks on our guys, not in terms of official background checks, but you know, calling around to other coaches, coaches that, that have competed against these people, um, high school principals, you know, junior college, athletic directors and, and so on and so forth to, to get an idea of the type of person they are. Number three, we want to make sure we recruit um, men of character. Um, you know, when when you're going into a dogfight day in and day out at the Division One level, you know, on the field, you want to make sure that you've got some stand-up guys right next to you, and, and, and that's really important for us. And, and number four, we want to recruit the best athletes that we possibly can. So trying to put that formula together and, and and kind of checking off all four boxes is really important to to our recruiting process and has been really important to the way that we've built this program. Do I understand that you had a hand in coaching over 20 players who have gone on to sign professional contracts? Yeah, yeah. I've been fortunate to, to have a chance to, to coach those guys. You know, good players make good coaches. Great players make good coaches, you know, and, and uh, we've been fortunate enough to, to have, you know, a number of guys that that have gone on and played professionally, and you know, we still got a number that are still chasing the dream and and uh, and and doing well in in the minor leagues and that kind of stuff, and and that's always fun, and that's that's a huge goal for those guys as it was for me as a player, and um, anything that we can do to to try to get them to that next level professionally, we're going to try to do. It's got to be pretty satisfying to know that you've helped so many players, not only reach their potential, but realize their dreams of playing professional baseball. 
Yeah, it, it is. It is, Rick. You know, and and uh, if it's been twenty or twenty-two guys, or however however many it's been, there's been three or four times that many, or probably more, that have gone on, and just like that NCAA commercial has have gone on, you know, to be professionals and stuff other than sports. And then so for us, it's you know, it, it's a big uh, it's a big emphasis on, on trying to develop um, guys, not just you know from the baseball standpoint, but from the life standpoint. And, Make sure that when they walk out of our doors that they're, they're ready to face life, whatever, you know, whatever that means for them, whether that means that they're going to go play professional baseball or whether that means they're going to go get married and have kids or, or get into a career or we've had guys go professional in a lot of different things and, and, um, we want to make sure that, that we're helping all those guys, you know, achieve their dreams and, and be the best version of themselves when they walk out of our doors. Campbell plays in the Big South, which is a pretty darn competitive baseball conference. Last I looked, you were leading the conference, I think, in overall wins. You're right in the thick of things once again at the top of the conference standings. What is the key for the Fighting Camels to get back into the NCAA tournament this year? Well, you know, I, the, the biggest thing for us, Rick, is, is to go out and compete every single day. You know, when, when our guys lock in and, and really, and really, really compete, and and don't give in and you know don't get get down on themselves we have a chance to be successful every time out when we go out and, and we go through the motions a little bit like we had the last couple of days you know we we uh we don't have a very good chance to be successful and and, and you know wins and losses are going to take care of themselves i'm a firm believer in that if you do things right all the time if you go out and you work hard and and you put yourself in a position to be successful with the men that we have in our program, with with the 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 character that those guys have, and and the fortitude that those guys have, I believe that if we go out and work hard and go through the process every single day and not just go through the motions, that we're going to be in a position to be successful and and we'll come out on top more times than not. Um, when we don't do those things, when we don't do the little things, when we go through the motions, that's when we struggle and. So just getting our guys continue to prepare and and play at a level that 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 puts us in a position to be successful is going to kind of get us to where we want to be. We're talking with Justin Hare, head baseball coach at Campbell University on the BTG studio line. I understand that Campbell has a new indoor baseball practice facility and that you were heavily involved in the design. How has that impacted your recruitment and the program itself? Yeah, you know, it's 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 it, it, it's like it's a brand new facility. It's actually Rick. It's, it's a uh, the facility, the building's been here for a while, and and it was just severely outdated and and really needed an update. And you know, when I took over the reins, that was one of the very first things I went to our athletic director Bob Roller and told him, "Hey, man, we we need to upgrade this facility because it's a, it's a great." Uh, resource for us that we're not taking advantage of. And so we put a bunch of money into it and, and spent a lot of time and, and, um, and effort kind of designing it and what it looked like and the functionality of it. And, and quite honestly, Rick, it, it's been tremendous for us, not only from a developmental standpoint for our guys right now, um, but from a recruiting process, you know, just walking guys in there and, and kind of showing them, you know, whether it be pitchers with the pitchers area that we have in there and the hitters, obviously, and, um, just being able to do a bunch of different stuff and, and it's, and aesthetically it's really, really nice and clean and, and as, as classic looking as, as, uh, as really in the indoor that I've been into. And, and that was, that was part of it as well. We wanted it to look great. So when we walked recruits in there and their families, they thought, wow, 
this is really, really nice, and and uh, I can see myself working in here. And and to this point, it 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 certainly helps from that standpoint. This year on your roster, you have a young man from our part of the country, Western New York area, J.D. Andreessen. How's the season been going for him so far? Oh, uh, really good, man. J.D.'s, you know, he's a freshman. Um, he was he was one of the top 500 players in the country when we recruited him. Um, and he's just a he's a really really hardworking kid, very blue collar, uh, which is the type of people that we want. He's a great student. He's uh, I think he's probably started almost half of our games. Um, in some capacity, whether DHing or catching, he's probably gotten 70 at bats, 65, 70 at bats, and uh, and is doing really, really well. You know, he's going to be one of those guys. Hopefully, that in two years, you know, maybe Rick, when we talk again, he'll be you know number 23 or 24 on on the pro on the pro side of things because he's got a chance to to be a professional baseball player and and um, awesome kid, awesome family. Um, really everything that he, he certainly checked off all four of our criteria when we went through the recruiting process and, um, we're glad he chose to be here and, and he's, uh, he's a lot of fun to work with because he's, he wants to be great in, in a lot of different areas and he's willing to work for it and those guys are, are special to work with. Let me ask you, Justin, as a coach and as a believer in Christ, what do you see as the biggest obstacle in keeping today's student athlete focused on their athletics, their academics, their 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 faith, their, their life, their faith with Christ. There's so much that uh, draws their attention. How do you keep them focused? You know, I, I think that's a constant battle, Rick. It, it really is. Um, it's a constant battle in anyone's life. I think to to keep your priorities in line, and and um, it certainly is in mine. And and you know, because you get caught up in the moment, or you get caught up, you know, especially for for us, where we compete four or five times a week, it, it, it's easy to to lose focus and think that wins and losses are more important than than the greater picture. And um, so, for us, we try to do little things, you know, on a daily basis. If you walk into our indoor facility, you kind of see our program priorities right there as as you walk in and into our locker room. And, and those four things are our faith, our family, our country, and and Campbell. And and we try to talk about those four things all the time, and keeping those in in that exact order. Just constant reminders, and just just trying to create an atmosphere where you can grow in your faith, and you can grow as a person, and you can come into my office and, and sit down, and and we can talk about everything under the sun besides baseball. Um, we don't have to talk about baseball. We don't baseball, you know. And I and I tell guys through the recruiting process that. That our greatest reward as coaches is is to get a phone call from you three years from now and say, Coach, I'm getting married. Can you come to my wedding? Coach, can I, mm. you know, can, can you pray for me? And we're we're getting me and my wife are getting ready to have a kid. And, and you know, can you be a reference for me on on this job interview? And um, that's a, you know those lifelong relationships, building those relationships with our guys are the most important thing. And and so. Providing them with an outlet to mature and grow, uh, both as a player and as a man, is really important for our staff. And and uh, just those constant daily reminders of faith, family, country, Campbell, kind of posted throughout our 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 facility, and and just kind of having that conversation with our guys often is is uh, is a step in the right direction. That's for sure. Justin, how old were you when you became a believer in Christ? And would you mind sharing your salvation experience with our listeners? Sure, sure. Well, you know, Rick, I, I grew up, um, you know, I grew up just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. I was born in Indiana. I grew up outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, one of six kids in a Catholic family. And, and you know, so I, 
you know, I was baptized as an infant in the Catholic Church and, and 12 years of Catholic school. You know, I, I didn't realize it as much at the time, you know, why it was so important that we get up and go to church on Sunday. And, that, and just getting able to have the presence of the Lord in my life every day certainly has impacted me uh, beyond anything that I could have imagined which was always really important to me, but I didn't always understand the um, importance of it. But it certainly formed the base, my my base level relationship with with Jesus Christ. And I would never take that back in a million years. As, as I kind of got into college, as happens a lot, I think, in, in college-age kids, you, you get out on your own and, and going to church becomes less important and, and having that relationship with with Jesus becomes less important and, and less a focus in your life. Um, and it certainly wasn't mine. You know, I certainly, uh, strayed from that path, you know, quite a bit. And, but, but there was always, there all, there was always that underlying, you know, that underlying where I knew that I was missing something in my life, but I, but I couldn't always put my finger on it. And I'm sure that's something that you hear all the time. And I think that was certainly my case. And, um, went to Bowling Green State University, you know, it's 20,000. Um, students or so, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle, played there for two years, didn't have, you know, a lot of, um, faith experience there and never lost my faith, but, but wasn't, it wasn't central in my life and moved on a- after two years there, wasn't playing much, moved to the University of Indianapolis and, and, and kinda, and kinda got the feel like I needed to, I needed to reconnect with God, I needed to reconnect with my faith. I majored in philosophy and religion there, played my last two years and, and, and learned a lot, not just about my faith, but, but about religion in general. And, you know, I think that was totally random that I even picked that, but it was one of those things. I think it was some divine intervention where I think God was kind of calling out to me, like, you need to, to kind of come back. And as humans and, and men normally do, we like to, we like to fight against um, sometimes what's, what's right because we're stubborn and we're silly and, and, and not very smart sometimes. And so that's what I did. Not that I turned my back, but I, I wouldn't give into it and I wouldn't turn my life over to it like I should, like I knew I should. Went about my life, got into coaching. My first job was at a, a really small school in Kansas called Sterling College. It was a, a it was a faith-based institution. It was there for a year and then I went to Washtenaw Baptist University in, in Southwest Arkansas. Here I am, a Catholic boy in, in southwest Arkansas. And then there was a number of influences, you know, in my life at that point that, that really kind of got me back on track. A guy named Farron Rogers was the past, pastor at, at, a, at a local Baptist church, but he was also a baseball alumni from Washtenaw Baptist. And I got to know him on a personal level and his wife. And, um, you know, they hosted me for Thanksgiving dinner when I couldn't get home to see my family back in Ohio. And, and we formed a personal connection. So I started going to his church and really started to feel more and more comfortable. And then, you know, one of my, one of my best friends, one of my college teammates, a guy named Aaron Neath came, came down to visit me my first year at, at Washtenaw. And he had given his life over to the Lord and was on fire. You probably know Rick and, and some of your listeners. When you turn your life over to the Lord, you, you kind of get on that high. You get on that, sure. uh, you're on fire for Christ. And it, it's hard not to talk about it. Because you're so fired up about it, you 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 just got salvation. You just you just turn your life over to the Lord, and 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 by doing that, get get eternal life with Him in heaven. And and I mean, there isn't anything better in this world, that's for sure. And and there's nothing better anywhere. And so, 
you know, he comes down to visit me and he's on fire for the Lord. And, and, and he, and he really tested me over that weekend. He put me through the paces, I guess. You know, we, we were very close from college and we talked and stayed up late a lot of nights, a few nights and, and, and talked and talked baseball and talked life and, and talked about the Lord and just trying to get our priorities back in line. And, and he was sharing his story with me. And I mean, this is a guy that he used to get up. We go to parties and he'd get up on, the, in the second floor and jump out the second floor window onto the pine trees and shimmy down. He's crazy. He was crazy, man. He's that, you know, fun guy, awesome guy. But just to show where he was to, to where he lives now, he's sitting in, in my house in, in Arkansas and telling me that he's changed his life. The power of a changed life, huh? It's unbelievable. It would be hard to believe it if I hadn't seen it from my own eyes or hadn't been through it. So, so we're talking and he's challenging me on some things like, you know, what, you know, what are you waiting for? What's holding you back from being the man that you want to be? What's holding you back from leading people to Christ? What's holding you back from Christ? Why have you not gotten back in the faith? Why have you not as an adult made the decision to turn everything over that you have to, to Jesus Christ? And of course, the classic excuses, well, you know, I'm working a lot and I'm, and I don't have time. All those things that, that I knew weren't very good reasons and, and, and certainly weren't reasons at all. They were excuses. And so he challenged me, got me thinking a lot. And I was driving him back to the airport and, uh, and I, and I vividly remember this. Well, we're driving and there's a bunch of construction on the interstate between Arkadelphia and, and, and Little Rock. And, and we're talking and, and he's, and he's getting the feeling that this is his last shot. He knows that, that when he gets on that plane, you know, I don't have to answer his phone call if he calls. So he knows that, that if he's, that if he's going to try to help win me over for Christ this weekend, which is what he felt like he, he needed to do while he was down there, that this was kind of his last shot. And, and, and he's putting it to me and he's, and he's really challenging me only like, like, like a brother or a best friend only could. And we're getting pretty in depth on the way up there and, and I'm driving and, and, uh, I'm starting to, I'm starting to cry. Because, uh, because I know he's right, but I'm scared and I'm unsure of myself in that moment. He's getting emotional. I'm getting emotional. And he just asked me, he said, Justin, what, what are you waiting on? And at that moment, uh, a rock, th- th- I can't make this up, a, a rock, I don't know, probably a golf ball sized rock bounces up and, and cracks my windshield, scared me to death. And I think Rick, in that moment, it was, the culmination of the full weekend, the culmination of years of trying to figure things out on my own and and do things my own way and thinking that I was smarter than everybody else and had all the answers to the buildup of one of my best friends in the world challenging me on my faith life and my eternal life. And at almost the simultaneous minute of him asking me what I was waiting for, a rock that could have killed me, hits my windshield almost to say, don't wait any longer and turn your life over. And, and mm. at that moment, I, I, I just, I bawled. I took him to the airport. I hugged him. I told him I loved him. And from that moment on, Rick, I, not everybody gets that, that aha moment. But for me, that was my aha moment of my whole life has led me to this point. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be because this is where the Lord placed me. And now, I need to turn it all over to him and continue to follow or, or, or really seek out to follow his will for me and in my life. And, and from that moment, my, my, not that I've always been perfect, but because I certainly have not, but, but from that moment on, uh, my life's never been the same. 
Well, that's great to hear. How can we pray for you, Justin? Well, I, you know, I think, Rick, just pray for us to continue to put the Lord first in our lives. When you're in sports and you're in athletics, uh, it's really easy to get caught up in the, uh, in the day to day and the wins and losses and, and thinking that that's what's important and that's, that's your worth in life when it's really not. So I think just, just pray for, for me and my family and, and, and our program to continue to put the Lord first and continue to allow his will to be done in our lives and, uh, and turn ourselves over to that. You know, that I am second and, and he is first. And without him, we don't deserve any of the good things we get anyway. Justin, I want to thank you again for coming on our program. I've enjoyed talking with you, and I wish you the best of success with what remains of the season. And I hope the Fighting Camels go deep into the Big South Tournament and into the NCAAs, and I guess go humps. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. I, I really appreciate it, man. I appreciate what you're doing, and I, I'm a fan. Uh, let me know if there's anything else that I could I could possibly do for you guys. That's Justin Hare, head baseball coach for the Campbell University Fighting Camels. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Benson and those guys. Title sponsor of Benson and those guys is Town & Country Pest Solutions. If you have a pest problem, they are who you need to call. I know it's still cold and snowy outside, but those warm days are right around the corner and those pesky critters are going to start coming out. Town & Country Pest Solutions has been in business for over 25 years and have a team of knowledgeable professionals that guarantee their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions. They fear nothing but God. Benson and those guys. Follow us on Twitter at BTG Program. Enjoyed that interview. I've been, I enjoyed both interviews this week. Ken Kaiser was fun to talk to. I, I just I, maybe I'm old, just like sitting around talking baseball, and that was kind of fun and very knowledgeable. You know, I know, uh, you know different people have different feelings when it comes to Ken Kaiser, but I found him to be very knowledgeable and enjoyable to talk to. He has a few opinions, doesn't he? He does have his opinions, <laughs> and then the Justin Hare talking to him. You know what? impacts me and as we've done this program here now for several months and we've heard different testimonies from all different walks athletes from all over professional amateur college it, the power of a changed life we've seen it time and time again and here in justin Hare's instance the power of a changed life or a life which properly reflects reflects christ which puts the onus on us as believers to live the way we ought. When we live under a, a, a bushel, of course, what does Jesus say? What good is a candle? You don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. You know, it's there to exhibit its light. And believers that do that, people notice. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is, a, is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. New things are, uh, all things become new. People notice that. And they want to know why. What's different about you? Why Why is that? Justin Hare talked about his friend. He noticed his friend was a changed person. This guy that used to be this wild college guy now is a changed person. What an impact. A life lived for Christ 
a good testimony. You know who went to Campbell University? Gaylord Perry went to Campbell University. Really? Hmm. Clay Aiken, Campbell University. A bunch of soccer guys. They got a great soccer program. And Apple Jacks. You know Apple Jacks? Yeah. Uh, the cereal? The breakfast cereal? No, the Christian <laughs> hip-hop artist. Where, you guys are supposed to be trendy. You're supposed to know this stuff. I'm giving you Apple Jacks here, double X at the end. You oh, guys, that makes it course. way cooler. It's hip, man. Come on, yo. You can't blame us for being big fans of breakfast cereal. I'm I'm sorry. Well, I'm a big fan of breakfast cereal, but breakfast cereal, breakfast cereal, but I'm also a big fan of Christian hip hop. I know. I've never heard of this guy. You know what I'm saying? Yo. Hip hop Rick is in the building. Stephen Laurie Zeller, thanks going out to them. We got our book. They are now out, Raising Boys a Zeller Way. If you might recall, they were on our program back in February. You could still you can go to our website, btgprogram.com. You can listen to the podcast. Just play the interview only. Um, the books are out. At the time we interviewed them, they were releasing a book later this spring, but they're out, Raising Boys a Zeller Way, and appreciate our book being here. Let me ask you guys this. Trevor Bauer of the Indians the other day, Went six innings, pitched six no-hit innings, and then they took him out. The Indians, they won the game. They eventually lost the no-hitter in the ninth. But here's my question, and you guys listening can uh, tweet to us. Let us know your opinions. I'm interested to know if you would take the pitcher out. It's early in the season. He reached his pitch count. Or would you leave him in? I think you have to take him out. I mean, it's. Not just early in the season, but it's his first start of the season. He's coming off in spring training. They don't go much more than, what, 80, 85 pitches. So I think for the long-term health uh, on a team that's trying to contend, I think you got to look out for his health first and foremost. A- absolutely. It's way too early in, early in the season to leave him in. Plus, what do you have, five walks and 11 Ks through six? That's a lot of pitches just in the walks and strikeouts, not counting everything else. So... You have to take him out. You want to protect him for the season. And I agree, although it flies in the face of old school, you know, pitch. But today's pitchers are not as, they're just not as durable. Maybe they're, it's the way they're trained. Maybe it's the pitching all year long. They're just not as durable. Well, didn't we see way back that the Cubs basically ruined Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor by over-pitching them? That was pretty much the the poster for how to not manage your pitchers nowadays. I don't know why that is, but you you have to take them out. Zach, do I need to be worried about my New York Islanders missing the playoffs? At the time, we're recording this show a day or two before it airs. So at the time, they're 95 points. They're in fifth place, but they're very close to eighth and ninth place. I don't think I'd be worried about them missing the playoffs. I think they're a good enough team to turn things around, but I'd be worried about going into the playoffs on something of a cold streak. I think we all know the team that's hot when the playoffs start is usually the team that makes a long run. I'd be concerned about that. They were at the tops uh, most of the year. I, I've enjoyed the top in the East. My, my, the teams that I really like, the Rangers, the Lightning, the Islanders, they're all there. Um, incidentally, the LA Kings are going to miss the playoffs. That makes me hmm. so happy. All three of us predicted that they would be playing in the finals, in no, the Western Conference finals. I don't think I did. Yes, you did. Did I? They were yeah. one of the only teams that you knew of, so you picked <laughs> yeah. them. I, 
I'm so happy to see them not make it, not just because I have a grudge from last year's cup finals, but because they're that one of those teams that they sneak in and then they go on this hot streak and they're unstoppable. I'm glad that they're not even how are, there. How are let the me, Ducks let doing? Me, let me re- I picked the Ducks, Kings, and Rangers, Lightning. I'm doing, oh, well, the Kings aren't going to make Darren, you picked the Jets, Kings. The Jets are going to get into the playoffs. All right. But in the East, you had the Sabres, Devils. <laughs> <laughs> so how am I how am I looking with the Sabres right now? Both Sabres and Devils are in the bottom six teams in the league. All right. Zach, you had Rangers Lightning and Stars King. Stars are... Both my West teams are out. Yeah, that that's not happening, but you look pretty good in the East. Yeah, I can't believe the way the Islanders have come down the stretch here. Anyway, we're, br- we're, we're brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, so let's do our Pest of the Week. Darren, you're up first. Uh, my pest of the week is the University of Michigan for canceling a showing of the movie American Sniper. Uh, they basically cowered to whatever mouth breathers that said the movie was anti-Muslim rhetoric that symbolized with, sympathized with a mass killer. No, it's a movie depicting and celebrating an American hero who had uh, the minerals to go defend their right to be stupid. If it wasn't for Jim Harbaugh standing up for what's right, uh, these cowards wouldn't have changed their mind about the screening. So my pest of the week... University of Michigan. My pest of the week's not sports related, but it annoyed me. It's I saw an article that I thought was a spoof, so I clicked it and read it, and it turned out to be true. And it said that the top professional Call of Duty video game player wait, was wait, stepping wait, away wait, from the game. Professional, <laughs> professional can, Call of Duty player. You can be a professional at video games and make a million dollars per tournament. A million dollars. Any, anyways, he's the top professional Call of Duty player in the world, and he posted a YouTube video to announce to his fans that he was stepping down. He's my pest of the week. So he's a professional video player, and he has fans. Yes. And making a million dollars. He makes more money than all of us combined. And he quits it. This guy's an idiot. My pest of the week is former Red Sox, former Phillies, former Arizona Diamondbacks, current ESPN analyst, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling on Sunday night baseball opening night. They were talking about the importance of consistency when he chuckled and said, it's all about consistency. Ask my wife. It's consistent. Not pleasurable, but consistent. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Sunday night baseball. (laughs) You know, he backpedaled as Kurt Schilling tends to often do. Says he didn't mean it that way. Didn't realize it till he saw somebody tweet out the quote apologize but it just always seems to me that he he, he just clumsily fumbles over his his words is that just, not the worst baseball booth in the uh, game it's terrible him and crook yeah uh, yeah it is that apps that I, absolutely i is. muted it i was watching and i just muted it remember benson those guys is brought to you by town and country pest solution remember tweet us out we're interested to know what you think would you take a picture out who's got a no hitter going you could tweet us uh at btg program you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. Have a great week. You're listening to Benson and those guys, Town & Country, Pest Solutions.